0: Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. We're glad you're here. I'm Kevin McDonald, your host for this grand adventure, and I thank you for joining us. You see, our mission is to create a positive personal connection to all things with courage and love. We invite terrific guests, interesting topics, and great conversation, all in a fun, entertaining way. And we always manage to learn something, too. So I hope you will stay right where you are for this episode of Positive Talk Radio. And welcome, everybody, to Positive Talk Radio. And I've got a great guest for you today. I'm glad that he is here. I'm glad that you're here as well, and I hope that you'll stay for the entire episode. We're going to be talking with Shane Clemens, who has written a couple of books. His, His first book was called Conviction. His second book was called Deep Conviction, and it is all about his conviction. Um, and we're not talking about his uh, core set of beliefs necessarily. We're talking about when he was convicted of a crime and spent a, um, a good deal of time, um, well, a, a good deal of time in prison um, dealing with, with uh, the justice system and... The things that he had to deal with, as far as uh, the correctional system and how it works, and and stuff. And and both of the books are are designed to tell stories about people that he met along the way, and some of the um, some of the issues that they had, and uh, and also some of the issues that our uh, uh, correctional system has, in as far as helping people live their lives and get back to society. Rather than uh, set them up for a repeat. Am I? By the way, Shane, welcome to the show. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Well, and uh, did I describe it fairly accurately, sir? You did.
1: It's. It was a substantial amount of time. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend it by for anybody.
0: Well, and it started in Alaska. And so you spent time in the justice system in Alaska, and then I, I I I missed how you ended up in Colorado. But I know that you were in like thirteen different facilities over eight or ten years, and uh, and uh, some of them were better than others. Some of them were really really not very nice. The ones in Alaska seemed to be uh, the worst. Would that be would that be true?
1: You know, some of the prisons are really bad. Um, you got to realize that they're. They're part of U.S., but they don't hold the same standards as U.S. And there's articles out there that say, you know, Alaska's possibly one of the most corrupt systems in the U.S. Um, there's actually a cartoon out. I, I seen it when I was in Colorado. They talk about it and they talk about us inmates um, just being, a, you know, money for them. And, you know, they programs are huge for the, the state of Alaska billions of dollars gets put into you know rehabilitation unfortunately they're still ranked number 1 number 2 in the whole nation for recidivism so um a lot of the the most money goes to Alaska but recidivism is, recidivism is one of the highest in the nation so it's it's rough in there it's rough
0: i can only imagine i've only been in a prison setting one time. And I was uh, there to uh, box the inmates. I was part of the AAU program way back when. And it was uh, just being there was difficult enough. And this was in Washington State, in Monroe Monroe Reformatory. And just being in that setting is hard enough. And uh, I can't imagine being stuck there and especially when you don't know anybody and you have to figure out the best way to navigate through the system that is pretty much set up by the inmates, isn't it? The, the inmates run
1: the, the prison guards have control of, you know, the keys. So the inmates do have to like, you know, submit to a certain level, but, in the most part the i mean there's been riots and there you know there's guards have been taken hostage hot there was a hostage situation down in colorado where inmates took some of the guards and it was it, it was rough it was but for the most part the inmates run things but the inmates realize hey you know they have the keys they you know can have access to you know bringing stuff in or out um so we have to as inmates submit to a certain level but inmates, if, if they if they want to get you, they can get you. It's scary.
0: Well, you know what was interesting in reading your book, and I haven't gotten too far into the second one, but in the first book, one of the points that you make is that there are people that are in prison for life, some of them without the possibility of parole. And so consequently, they don't... the consequences of their actions don't really matter much to them because they aren't going anywhere anyway so they feel like that that this is where they are in their home and they, they can operate it however they want to which is included in um, stabbings and and beatings and that sort of thing um, is is that is that I know that was your experience how how difficult was that to deal with
1: with that said, when I first got to Seward, I, I was in pretrial, and it's, it, Alaska has a pretrial. It's called Cook Inlet, and then there's another one as well. But it's a facility where you are held until you are sentenced, and then they send you to the numerous prisons across the state. Well, when I was in there, I met a guy that was in there for. He was going to court, and he was, uh, you know, he allegedly raped a woman and murdered her. And Through my my transfers, which I got transferred over 20 times, um, which cost the taxpayers lots of money. But I'm just, you know, I'm just a little person going through it. And I I learned a lot, though. But I met a guy that when I hit Seward, like you said, they have nothing to lose. I'd been on the yard for less than five minutes. I just walk out of the doors and I met him in cook inlet or pre-trial one of the facilities over there in anchorage and he goes yeah they gave me 350 years and i'm like holy moly i mean i was like 300 years and he goes watch this and i don't realize he's later on going to be running a gang i i don't know this i mean i'm so new i don't know anybody and we start walking that that's when i first you know got the um, guns drawn on us. And anyways, this guy beats this older guy almost to death. I mean, I don't realize how no one's stopping it. I I mean, I'm walking, I'm watching this and I'm like, ow, you know, cause I mean, that's the first thing he said, he goes, watch this after he told me he's got 300 some years. So I was like, good golly. And there was blood everywhere The you could hear the older man snoring. I bet you the guy was older sixties and the, the other guy, actually I wrote about him in my book. Um, I, I wrote about that part in my book. I don't remember which one, but I did anyways, he had these gloves on and I don't know nothing about that. Anyways, he walks past us after he was done, but the guys is laying there bloody in the, in the gravel. And I don't realize the inmates know where all the, the, the cameras are in the facility. They know where the blind spots are. I didn't know that at the time. I had no idea. So I'm walking through, I'm, I, he walks past me. This guy's like right next to me. He just beat this guy. He's taken off his gloves. I don't realize that, you know, I mean, I, all I know is there's a guy that's hurt real bad and he's bleeding and he's snoring and he goes in and we walk past him. And the guy that was, you know, 300 some years, he goes, don't look. So I kept going. And the guy's just laying there bleeding. And I was like, I mean, I, I thought to myself, I'm in the devil's lair. I mean, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, Couple minutes later, all you hear is sirens. Now, the the guards finally realize that there's a gentleman laying there and he's hurt severely. Guns are drawn now. The towers are pointing guns at us. Get the get uh, guards are coming out from everywhere. Well, I don't realize that the cameras were you know that there was a blind spot there. I didn't know that. Inmates knew that. Do the guards know the inmates know? I don't know if they do. I mean, it's it's just one of those things. Why? Um, anyways, the guy was hurt. We get locked down. We're locked down for days. Um, that there's movement. There's, there's a 10 minute movement every hour and you got 10 minutes to get from point A to point B. The doors are locked and there's nothing you can do. You can't just go push a button and say, Hey, I want to get back in. It's not like that. You got 10 minutes. It's for security. And in those 10 minutes, he beat the guy, got back to his cell, got back to his room. So nobody knows who did it the whole prison gets shut down for two days and they're going through every cell, taking off our clothes, looking at our fingers, our knuckles, our bodies for marks. Well, they didn't realize he had gloves on that he took off. So they, they never found out who did it. And that guy went to the hospital and he was there for quite a while. That was my first first day on the yard with a guy with 300 some years and he had nothing to lose.
0: That had to be and horrific experience and we're not going to here. we're not going to get into how you ended up there if you want to do that there's plenty of information that you can find about that uh, but that's really not the point of what our discussion is going to be about because what our discussion is going to be about is the fact that that from that lowest point and you self-describe yourself as a black sheep or your family and before you went to Alaska to uh, be in a fishing boat, you had troubles and stuff. And, and, but there was a point in time when you decided to make a positive change on purpose. Um, can you describe that for us?
1: Well, I'd fished for years in Alaska. I love Alaska. It's, it's probably one of the beautiful states I've been to. Um, the, the outside's beautiful. There's a lot of corruption, though. There's a lot of money going through people's hands, oil, fish, prisons, um, natural gas, stuff like that, which is, I mean, as we all know, it's money. I mean, it makes the world go round and they produce it. So there's a lot of money and a lot of corruption. And so I fished. I mean, I love to go fishing. One year I was 20 years old, I believe, and I went up with a guy, Like his name, I, I called him Prue. he's in my book and he was he was from Peru and he was a great guy and so I I went fishing I I love fishing and I fished for years and years and years and then that happened but um I didn't mean a tangent off on your question
0: <laughs> I'm just trying. To, all right well what, so, did, what... At what moment did you to, to, to think now somewhere in the 10 years that you spent in prison, you you made a conscious decision to make a change. Um, You wanted to change so, your life because what wasn't it wasn't working what you were doing.
1: So I'll be honest with you. I was in Wenatchee, Washington. I was at the bar. I was drinking and I was making out with two girls. That's not right, I don't think. But I'm single, but it is what it is. And I was leaving with them. I was outside. They went to get the car. And I i would already been tired of what I was doing. I was super, super tired of it. And it, I mean, it was the weirdest thing. I looked up. Why? I don't know. I still don't know to this day. I looked up and I said, help me. That's all I said. And there was a girl that actually heard me. And she was walking past. And she goes, Shane, you're better than this. And it's still, it's home. Anyways, one thing led to another. That night, the police kind of beat me up. Um, did they do wrong? Yeah. Uh, and in their report, it specifically said that all I was trying to do was shake their hand. So when they got me to the jail, it was, uh, I told the officer, I was like, I said, dude, I didn't do anything to you. I said, all I wanted to do was shake, shake your hand. And anyways, he grabbed me. I was still in handcuffs. He grabs me, he slams against the wall, hits my face. And the guard there at the jail told him, he goes, you're not going to take him in here until you take him to the hospital. Anyways, he wrote a report on it and which was super nice of him. I was thankful, you know, he's seen everything. And they threw me in jail afterwards anyways. And the next day they let me out and that guard was there. And he goes, Shane, you all right? I said, yeah, man. I said, I'm all right. He goes, I wrote a report on that officer. I said, I thank you very much. He goes, he had no right doing that. I go, well. I go, it is what it is. And that was like probably five minutes after I asked the guy upstairs. He, I was like, help me. So anyways, I went on with my day. I got out. We've, I, I got the police support. It showed that I go, the officer said, he goes, I made him get out of the car. He came around. All he wanted to do was shake my hand. It's in the report. And I was like, well, then why did you do that? He, nothing ever said. They dropped all the charges and everything. But it was just one of those things. And then I get to Alaska and i started drinking anyways before all this happened i i i got a fifth of vodka and i poured a cup in the it was not in the morning it was probably in the afternoon but it tastes like poison i dumped the fifth out i've never drank again since and then we started fishing and then all that stuff happened but i was i was sober i I'd, I'd actually quit but I went through treatments and classes and all that. But I took a lot more when I, when I, got, when I got locked up.
0: Well, and, and uh, through the course of time, when you, got, when you got locked up, well, first of all, let me ask you, because uh, we kind of just skated over it. You got transferred 20 times. Why?
1: <laughs> well, the first, first little bit was necessary because it was transferring from. So when I got arrested, I was in Kodiak, Alaska. And they just have a little tiny gel. Well, I didn't know that everybody on the island knew who I was at the time because it was over every scanner. You know, in Kodiak, there's a lot of fishermen, a lot of families that live there and their their husbands and wives go fishing. And it's very dangerous. I mean, it's a lot of people die every year. Lots and lots and lots. Storms. It's not like here you see clouds come over the mountains and, you know, you got, you know, got a little time. Alaska you could be in zero degree weather you know like super nice and all of a sudden boom you got 40 50 mile an hour winds and you're hitting 20 30 foot swells just a matter of minutes so what's super scary and you got to have these scanners well every home has them so once you get on the scanner every family's listening so when they called out for the coast guard every family was listening and they get on the phones and says who's who, you know, they all start communicating. So I was already guilty before I got to town. I didn't know that. I hit the dock and I had already seen people lined up on the dock, looking, trying to find out who I was, which was fine. I mean, it is what it is. It didn't happen the way they said it did, but, you know, it's, it's a, you know, I took it with a grain of salt. I'm coming in. Um, one of the victims he was laying there. The coast guard comes in the middle of the ocean and the helicopter comes and lowers down the, the cage on the boat and I'm holding the cage and I'm holding the line. I'm trying to help. I mean, I, I, I definitely was, you know, I was trying to help him. The coast guard and I were, you know, he was asking me questions and I, on, you know, honored, you know, I, I answered honestly and we were working things to try to help, you know, him get up to where he you know so he could get help. So I'm holding the line he's holding the cage and we're both cause it's, it's you know, we're hitting a little bit of swells and it's rocking. And so we're, we're, we're holding it. So the cage doesn't swing. So My hands got tore up pretty bad, but anyways, I help him get on the boat or get him off the boat and um, coast guard leaves, shakes my hand. He goes, thanks. I said, you're, and I go, you're welcome. And they take off and they fix him and I'm go I'm coming back into town and one of the other guys, he was on the, you know, on the bow. And actually he was on the stern and I, I walk over and put my arm around him and he goes, please don't say anything. I said, I'm not. He goes, Vita will lose the boat. Cause they were on drugs. I mean, they were, they were using drugs. The toxicology report proved that he had three different types of drugs in a system and they weren't doing things they were supposed to, but fishing, that's what happens out there. There's, you know, to stay up for 24, 48, hours plus. A lot of guys think that they need drugs. Do you? know? But you have to be, you know, you have to be strong minded to be able to get through those days because it's hard and it's hard work. But anyways, I put my arm around him and that's what he said. He goes, don't say anything. I said, I won't. I said, you guys need to. So anyways, when I got back to the, the, the jail, back to your question, it's a little tiny jail and they stick me into the room. Well, now I know everybody knows who I am because they stick me in this little tiny room where I could reach both hands out, and my bed's almost touching the bar, and my toilet's right there. So I'm in a room. I don't know, less than six feet by probably seven feet. Maybe six by. I mean, it was little. Maybe yeah, it was, it was, it was probably six by seven. It was tiny, and I got a camera on me. I knew everybody knew who I was, and even one of the guards said, "Yeah, you're infamous." So I'm like, "Great." So. I'm there. So that, that, that's a little tiny thing. They don't have any courts, just, just one little court. So, and they can't keep people there. So I'm transferred about a month and a half after the little court proceedings, I'm transferred to Anchorage. So Anchorage, I'm sitting there waiting for my next court date in Kodiak. So they would have to fly me from Anchorage back to Kodiak a few times. So that was, you know, that's understandable. Once I got to Seward, that's when, um, I got transferred to Anchorage again from Anchorage. I went to Kenai Kenai back to Anchorage to Seward. And one of the, one of the staff told me that I did too good. So they threw me in the hole for two weeks and <laughs> threw, threw me on the floor naked and all that. But, you know, they took my Bible and stuff sometimes, but it, it is what it is. I mean, I, I did very well. Matter of fact, I did so good that some of the guards said I might be the most um, inspirational motivational inmate that ever walked out of the prison doors. I mean, I, I took program, sir.
0: Well, I was just going to ask you, um, I've never, obviously, I like I said, I've never been to prison. Good. So I've never experienced the hole. What is, and you hear about that in Hollywood and movies, to throw him in the hole. He's going to spend two weeks in the hole. What exactly is the hole, and what what happens to you when you go into it? Each holds different in each prison. Um,
1: there's some that actually take care of you. Is it the right thing to do? I don't think they realize what they do, if that makes sense. Then there's some, like, Seward, where it's, it's gloomy. It's, it's dark. It's, it's not fun. Colorado hole, there was a lot of guys. It was, it was scary. I mean, it was It was gloomy. Each prison is different. Each prison hole is different and has its own characteristics. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. There's a guy in Alaska. His name is John Bright. He's a murderer and they let him out of the hole and he hurts people. He uh, he's, but he's been in the hole. I don't even know how many years, 10, 15 years. He's going to, I mean, if they let him out, he's going to hurt somebody else. So they have to just keep him in the hole. How he does it every day, I don't know. There's another gentleman named Josh Boyd. He was, there was a hit on him when he got to Seward. And I, I found out this, that all the natives were going to take him out. I didn't realize that, but I was in Cook Inlet with him and I heard him on the phone and he goes, you know, I don't really care. Little did I know I was standing next to a serial killer. I didn't know. But um, he was like, yeah, I don't don't, you know, I don't really care. We talked and visited. He was in for murder of a girl, but they were going to actually he was the one that they were going to give the death penalty to in Alaska, which they don't have. He was going to be the very first guy ever in the history of Alaska to um, get the death penalty. Little did everybody know he'd killed a lot more women than that. They he got away with one. They knew they couldn't prove it. He did it again. He, they, he used her card, which got him a federal offense. Feds jumped on board. It was all over the news. He was like, but I mean, I was sitting right next to him, visiting with him and he'd killed many, many more. So anyways, when he got to Seward, he was in the hole and I was like, gosh, man, he's got to be there forever. Anyways, he fessed up and said he was tired of being in the hole there. So we called him up and said, Hey, I killed another person. They're like, what? And he goes, Yeah, so and so. And they're like, You gotta be kidding. He goes, No, check this out. They found another body. Now he's over here in the States, and he's one of the most troubled inmates they've got. I mean, he's just in trouble all the time. He's a big boy, too. I mean, he's 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 pretty, pretty big boy. It's just every hole's different.
0: It's it's and it's got to be frightening because, you, you know, it's and the, the food isn't very good. I understand. And and there's a, there's a lots of lots of issues there. So but let's fast forward a little bit, because, you know, being in being in prison, there's some things you could not do. But there's some stuff that you did going down the road that was pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, working with kid with other inmates to get their GED and um, d- taking some classes, taking some anger management classes and doing all that kind of stuff. So is there is there a place in the system for people to um, rehabilitate themselves? And And then do people take advantage of those opportunities?
1: Yes and no. So the system's not made for rehabilitation. They get the money for rehabilitation, but it's definitely not designed to your taxpayer's money is definitely not going to where it should be going to. However, on the bright side, there are programs, but each is their own individual. I mean, I mean, I probably took $150,000 worth of programs. I mean, under the how they fund the money from treatments to faith-based programs, uh, like you said, anger management. I think one of the funnest times I had was in Kenai. I mean, it was the guys like me. I became the the little chaplain helper. I was organizing uh church groups, but they knew me at they knew me from before. It wasn't just like I came in and this happened it It took me years, and I started running things in Seward, you know prior to that, so it was all the guys knew who I was i I don't know if the big guys realized that I was trying to help the little, you know, the smaller ones trying to get out of trouble and the ones that wanted to get out of gangs and stuff. I honestly don't know, but I would feed the ones that were, you know, getting beat up and broken arms and broken ribs and trying to get out of gang. Cause you know, if you're in a gang, I don't know how it works. I mean, I do, but I've never been in. So I, I personally don't know just hearsay is they don't like you to get out. And if you do, you're marked. And they beat you and they don't want you to have things. They don't want you to, you know, because if you're with them, you can say, hey, you know, I, I need something. They'll try to help you get it. But once you're out, they don't want to help you. So they they do the opposite. They say, hey, we don't want them to have whatever. Well, anyways, they would beat them up really bad and they'll have black eyes and broken noses and lips. And you can't go to chow you can't go get your food because the guards would see you. And then they would shut everybody down and it's just a bad deal. So they have to stay in the room and starve. Well, when I had my store in Seward, I, those guys would come to me. They would tell me what gang they were in. They would tell me how they got out, how long, why, when, where, everything, anything, everything. So I would try to help them. I go, well, the food's free. They're like, what? I go, man, I want you to do good okay i'm i'm proud of you for doing that i don't know how you did it and they would be shocked they're like what i'll say you eat for free so i would i would i would take my proceeds and help the ones that were going to school that were going to programs that were trying to do good so like so some of the guys knew who i was did the bigger guys know i honestly truly don't know i don't but i would have to deal with them every day too because I would take too much money from one of their customers and they would, hey, Shane, you know, he owes me. I need you to cut him off. I'm like, okay. So now I would have to cut off somebody because they owed somebody else too much money and they if that makes sense. But I still would try to help the ones that were trying to progress and do good. So when I was in Kenai when I started that fundraiser, a lot of the guys knew, hey, this this guy actually kind of likes us. So, when we came up with a thousand dollars, I was super proud of them. That's when I snuck that letter out of prison and got it into the paper. And they, the paper actually wrote an article for the guy. So, and then the GEDs, it was neat too, because I had a full class. I mean, they were popping GEDs left and right. Some of them were like, went farther in advance than me. I mean, they were like getting better grades than me. I was like, go get it, man. I was super proud of them. It was neat to watch people like, didn't know how to write and read and all of a sudden they're getting better scores than me. I was like, get it. I was proud of them. There's a lot of GED graduates.
0: And you just mentioned the thing uh, that you did uh, with the uh, Salvation Army and you organized a fundraiser and you, and prisoners, by the way, if you don't know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, prisoners work in the prison. It's, it's almost like it's, it's got its own, its own, its own little city. And because they do a lot of stuff within the prison walls and it's also got its own uh, system of, of, of hierarchy of, of inmates and who can do what and how, how um, people can have money and, and they they get drugs from the outside. And it's, it's a real kind of a, it's a kind of a perverse society, if you ask me, but what you did is you organized a fundraiser, a fundraiser for children. And out of this 50 cents or 25 cents an hour that these inmates were making, you raised how much money again?
1: $1,000. $1, $1,000 was like 2,000 hours.
0: Yeah. And the uh, um, warden was shocked when, when uh, that came about.
1: Yeah, they were. It never been done. Nothing. I mean, they've done it for years and none of the, you know, guys thought about trying to do something like that and, uh one of the sergeants mentioned on the way over he was like why don't you guys try to think of something to you know do something for him so that's when we all came together and just by the grace of the good lord i threw shows here and went at you you know so i knew the you know the basics of promoting so i came up with a proposal gave it to the but they I didn't, they didn't know if it was going to happen at first because it was, you know, it's security, you know, it's, everything has to be secured. I mean, people have broken out of that prison. Murderers have broken out of the prison and shot at helicopters. It's, it's, I mean, it's you, they have to be, you know, alerted on every little tiny thing. They have, they have, they think they have to know everything, but on the security level, yes, but not in hindsight 2020, but they did. They, I, I gave them a proposal and they liked it and they allowed us to do it. And we, the guys, did great. It was neat. It was actually. Um, I talked to a Skurkowski. He's from. uh, He's another radio um, um, gentleman, just like you, in Kenai, Alaska. And he called me directly on the phone. And he was part of that on the outside. I didn't know though. He didn't know it was me either. He just knew that an inmate was doing this, and that's what we did. It was. It was neat. It helped the kids and. A lot of families got some goodies that year
0: which is awesome and i'm glad that you did that for for the kids and for the community and even for the inmates it made them feel a little bit better and uh, that they were contributing to society and doing something right i want to fast forward now to because uh you, not only did you get out of prison but you have established yourself as a Uh, Community person in Wenatchee, you've got a couple of businesses, Uh, you're involved in the community, but I want to specifically focus in on the day of your release. What was that like?
1: It was scary i just had done my 10 years and i had you know they were technically they were supposed to let me out a few years before that under the statutes and which i pushed paper all the way through and they just kept me in Which is it is what it is i that that's when they started moving me that's what you know you were asking me about that well i started pushing paper and i was like you know i'm i'm ready to be released and they were like shane you can't go i'm like why i go the judge even says I'm allowed to go. I even started pushing the same paper they pushed against me because they were like, you and I was like, okay, I mean there's nothing I can do at the beginning because the judge says something. You got to follow the judge's orders. I mean, if the judge says jump, you say how oh, high. That's it. I mean, that's the end of the story. So I I asked him, I said, How high do I need to jump? And he told me specifically in that courtroom, if you listen to what I tell you, you're gonna be a very, you know, productive member of society. So I said, how, you know, I asked him, how high do I need to jump? So I had everything done. So when I went up to parole and everything, I had all my ducks in a row. I did everything plus some. So they technically didn't. So then they moved me out of that prison. And then I kept pushing paper, pushing paper, but I'll do it little bits at a little bit. I'll do it at a CO, get his information and this CO. And then I'd go to a sergeant. Then i would go to a CO and I'd get every, and then I'd push right to the main top. Cause I mean, they're supposed to follow the rules just like us. And they didn't like that. So they'd move me out of the prison. It was one of those, you did too good type things. I'm like, just let me go to ankle monitoring. But so finally I'm my day to be released. I'm in the, I'm in the hole. They threw me in the hole and <laughs> <laughs> they, they wouldn't let me use the phone. I'm like, I'm like, Argh. so anyways, they would come in. I was supposed to be out early in the morning and some of the guards come in and go you're not going to get released. And I'm like whatever. I go you got to let me go. And another, you know, hour passes and they come in and they're like we're not going to let you go. Will you please open the door? I said I want to go home. I go I've done my time. I did good. I go I didn't even get a write up and your prison system is like slim to none if you could ever get, I said I was one of a few that ever didn't get a write up which is you can get a write-up for like having an extra pair of socks. It was that bad. I mean, by the grace, I didn't get a write-up, but I. uh So I. They finally opened the door. I have five hundred dollars to my name. I have only five hundred dollars. I worked the whole time I was in prison, and my four savings from child support because they take half your money and you make fifty cents an hour. So now you're down to twenty-five cents, and then you got to pay for your cable, which is ten dollars. So now you're down to. About 5 cents. So I was making 5, 7, maybe 10 cents an hour per per hour by the time everything was said and done. So I saved up $500. I walked out. There was a cab waiting for me. I had one box. And I, I was like, gosh. I mean, it was like, really? And I, the door shut me. Actually, they gave me a really nice coat when I left. It was nice of them. So I'm walking out and the cab I get in the cab and I go here here's the address and they lied to my sister rehabilitation now I, I should have gone home to Washington cuz my mom my brothers my sisters everything they teach you in these programs is you got to go home and be with your family you got to love your family it's not about your friends it's not about your girlfriend it's about your loved ones that support support you which everything they teach you is i'm going home and I'm not, there's nothing anywhere that says I'm not supposed to. Well, they lied to my sister and said, well, it's a good idea if he stays here because of this and this. So she's like, fine. So they made me stay in Alaska. I was bummed. I hadn't, I hadn't seen my son yet. I mean, I hadn't seen my, my, my baby. He was six or my, my other son. So they were trying to break my rehabilitation, but I was like, they're not going to, I just, I just got to fight push through so I can get home to see these little people. And remind you, he was six years old. Now he's, you know, 15, 16. So I missed, I wanted to go home. I, I worked hard. I, I, I my, my paperwork shows, this guy worked hard. So I'm stuck. Anyways, I'm I'm going, I have $500. They're sending me to uh, a house that, I mean, I have to pay rent, but there's some guys from prison there. In society, it's bad because a lot of the guys commit crimes still. I mean, it's, and you get a bunch of guys, they, they tell you like your probation officer, you you go to jail. If you hang out with somebody that has another felony, is that right? No, but that's their rules. Does it hurt taxpayers? Lots, but that's a whole nother subject. But so I'm going to a house with a bunch of guys that I met inside there. A lot of them have really bad felonies. A lot of them have done really bad stuff. And I'm going to a house with all these guys. So now there's a bunch of, felons hanging out and they're supposed to work and do things you know, you're know, you supposed to do. I have $500. I get to the house. I get shown where my bedroom is. And I'm ecstatic. I'm like, but I don't, I don't have a phone. I don't have a light. I don't have anything. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I get a cab. I get downtown. I learned what Obamacare was. I'm not saying it's right or wrong on this, but I went down to the phone company and I found out I can get a phone for 60 bucks for all year. I didn't know that when I went in, I was thinking I was going to spend two or $300. I needed a phone. It cost me like 70, 80 bucks. And they said it was going to cost you that for all year. And I go, it's going to, I said, so my whole bill is going to be for all year. And they were like, yeah. So I paid it up front. So I paid that. So now I have a phone for a year. I don't have a license. I'm trying to push paper to get a job. I find out my, my DMV. I'm all clear, but I have a ticket in Wenatchee from back in the day. And I'm like, Ugh. so I go. I I I call my grandma, and she's like, Shane, absolutely, you did good. It was like a 100 and some dollars. She goes, in, and it has to be in person. I I can't mail it to him. It has to be in person, so she goes down there. Pays the hundred and some dollars. I go to the Alaska DMV and I get my driver's license. I pay my, I think it was $200 for everything. So now I'm down to $200. I, I got my license and a phone though. I buy some food and some little clothes. I buy something for my kids. Anyways, I, I'm down to almost nothing. I get a job. I'm stocking shelves at night. And so I'm I'm out. I get a job less than a week. I want to go home. I'm, I'm fighting tooth and nail to go home and I haven't seen my people. I talked to them on the phone. Thank gosh. And then I'm, I'm working. It's kind of like a safe way at night. I'm, I'm stopped. And there's three of us. There's, there's three people. My boss is drinking all night long (laughs) and I'm, I'm friends with him though. I, I go to his house. I hang out with his kids. They know I'm a pretty decent guy. I'm, I even take his kids, I teach them how to drive go-karts. Anyways, it was it was it was neat. I started doing things with people, and then I get a call from my main boss at the job and says, Hey Shane, who's been drinking? I go, I have no idea. I go, look at the cameras. They're like, What? And I go, Well, you got a camera system in here. Look at the cameras. They found out the boss was drinking on the job because he left a bottle in one of the rows. I was like, I go, I, I wasn't with him. Look at the cameras. And it shows again that I hadn't, I was doing my stuff and he was coming over talking to me and I was, I was working the whole time. And it's, I, anyways, I keep working, but I'm like, I'm not satisfied. I need, I need to work more. So now I go look for a fishing job. I land a fishing job. So now I'm working all day long. And then I get off, I get two hours off, hour and I had to work at night. So now I'm fishing all day and I'm working at night. So I'm getting like two or three, four hours of sleep. But if you look what I was doing prior to that, I was doing almost the same thing. I was working, going to school. So I was, prog- you know, I was progressing. I was working. I was paying my bills. My child support was happy. My kids, my everything, you know, then I buy a truck. But I still want to go home. I haven't seen my babies. There's no reason to keep me here. So, so I'm going to classes. That I do what the probation officers say, um, I'm starting to push paper, paperwork to them. You're supposed to follow the judge's orders. And they're kind of, they tell you to follow the judge's orders. And then when you follow the judge's orders, they were kind of being sticklers. So anyways, I was still pushing paperwork. I was like, the judge told you, just like he told me, and here's the paperwork proving this. Well, they wouldn't want to listen to the judge. So I was like, fine. I'm going to still do good. I'm going to still. So anyways, I'm, I'm fishing, and we're on a boat, and the, the, the line gets wrapped around the guy's back. And I look over by the grace of the good Lord, or we would have lost somebody. I grab it, and I yank as hard. I said, get out, and I scream, and he looks at me, and his eyes, like get real big, and he realizes he's in the bite. The, the bite's where you don't want to be. Anywhere but the bite. But the current is pulling super hard that day, and the anchor's out here, and it's attached to the buoy where the the anchor's down at the bottom, and he's in the bite, and I'm giving it everything I got. And he gets out, and his foot barely gets out, and it goes, skips across the water. That's how tight it was. He gives me a hug. I go, I just shake my head because, I mean, I've been on boats where people don't pay attention, and it's bad. It's It sucks because then you got your job to do, and you got to worry about him at the same time, so it makes things harder. The next day I break my ribs. So I'm like, gosh, dang it. <laughs> it was just one thing after another. I just, anyways, that's how I got my job. And I sent money home, got my truck, and now I'm doing this.
0: Now, how long was it before you were able to get back to Wenatchee? Mm,
1: they let me go on a trip. They finally let me go home to see my kids. That was a Few months into it, I paid my ticket and I had a hernia. I go to the flipping doctor and they're saying you can't travel. I'm like, dude, I said I'm going on my trip, but they have to do emergency surgery because I'm getting ready to die. They said. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So I'm I call, I I go to the doctor just to have something looked at. Now I'm having emergency surgery. So I'm calling my 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 I'm like, you know, I'm I'm sad. I want to go see my babies. You know, I haven't seen them in 10 years. I want to see my babies. So I'm, the doctor's like, Shane, you're going to die if you don't have surgery. I go, are you, s-? so I was super bummed. I was bummed. So I call home and I said, hey, uh, I'm having surgery. And they're like, what? Oh, yeah, I said, I, I said, um, such and such. And they, the doctor's saying this and that. And they're like, oh my gosh, Shane, are you serious? I go, yeah. I go, I'm here at the hospital. And they're they're, they're already got me people coming in. They're saying I'm going to die if I don't have surgery right now. So I'm, they're like, you oh they were like jaden and i go mom what do you rachel what do you want me to do i mean i'm stuck i go i can't do nothing i go i'm flipping at the hospital they do surgery on me and i'm leaving the next day they're like shane we don't want you to fly and i look i was like i don't care i go my eyes are watering because i'm sad i mean i my babies and they you know I go is is it going to be detrimental? I mean is it going to be something that I I they're like no but the altitude and stuff have possibility that da, da, da. and they gave me the pain pills and I said I don't want any pain pills. And they look at me and they're like you're going to be hurting. I go I go sir. I go have you ever seen your sister cry? I go I'm not going to have her cry again. So I threw the pain pills I took ibuprofen and I hurt anyways I got on that plane and I took off yeah it hurt I get home I see all the little kids and my sister's kids that I hadn't seen and you know they're they're 11 10 James 14 and I'm throwing balls and I was trying not to like let them know that it hurt that bad but so I get to Tri cities and I get a hug my kid and I made it and I hurt and I I got back and I almost fell down because I hurt so bad, but I I made it through. I didn't take any pain pills, and that's how that story went.
0: Now, were you able to stay in in Wenatchee? No,
1: they made me come back to Alaska, and I had to stay there for another five or six months. I think it took, if I remember right, I was allowed, I, I was out in February, February 2015, And I think they let me come back. I think I had to stay there a year, if I'm not mistaken. It was real close to that. It might have been around Christmas time. I think they had to keep me there 10 months or so.
0: So now you're back in Wenatchee. You have a couple of businesses. One is a landscaping uh, construction business called, uh, and it's called what again? ABE Landscaping and Maintenance. ABC, ABE, Landscape and Maintenance. And you, you actually uh, did some work for me, which is how we met. And, uh, and you did a fine job. And I want to thank you for that. And, uh, but go get the book. Sure. Shane, the, Shane's written two books. One is uh, Conviction, and the other one is Deep Conviction. And uh, you can go to Amazon. You can go to his website, which is, oddly enough, com. And uh, you can you can uh, look at his story some more and pick up his books. He's got a third book coming out, and uh, it's awesome. Now, uh, Shane, I, I, and we have to wrap this up, but I want to give you an opportunity to tell everybody in our audience what you've learned, because one of the things that you wrote in your books is, and you close a bunch of chapters with it, is like don't drink, don't do drugs, don't uh, do things that are bad For you because you could end up like that and then you gave gave an example of of what that is and it became you know it's 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 a really good uh it's a really good read i highly recommend it and uh um i want to give you a moment to just tell our audience what that experience and everything you've been through has taught you and how you are going to survive and not only survive but thrive going forward
1: Well, as you know, it's a dead end street regardless. I mean, I know a lot of people have pain. I've looked in their eyes, I've heard their stories, I know there's pain. Does it take it away momentarily? But in the end, it just hurts you as a person even more. So, it's it's I mean, I, I I mean, I watched the guys party and do drugs every day when I was in. And I had one of the most ruthless guys tell me, Shane, you're the reason why I don't change. That's the reason why we don't change. And it's not because I did good. It's because the system tried to break me for doing good. But, and I told him, I looked in his eyes, I was like, I still have to keep going and he 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 smiled and he he he's still out there as a matter of fact he's in my book he's one of the one of the meanest guys but it, it's it's better not to go be with your family love your family and some families it's bad but it's a dead-end street drugs and partying all the time is a dead-end street
0: well and as you found out you can get into some real big trouble if you are if if especially if you're if um you're drinking and and drugging and and bad things happen one of the excuse me one of the the stories in your book was about a guy that wasn't drinking and then he got his girlfriend was with another guy and he got upset and so he started drinking and and carrying on and then he, he Goes and picks up a three fifty-seven Magnum and he'll spend the rest of his life in jail for killing two people.
1: He he actually is a decent guy. He's he's in Seward. He might have been got out now because he was up for parole. But he was the nicest guy. I mean, like one of the nicest guys. Followed the rules, didn't break the rules, didn't and he was afraid. I mean he was he was on kind of PC status. But never never i mean it's just one of those things he never drank in his whole life and he drank that one night and he ended up in prison for 20 years
0: yeah yeah so shane i want to thank you very much for being here it's a it's an honor to uh interview you and go get the book the conviction and deep conviction go to his website which is shane com, flemings with an s.com and um and you hear more about his story He's got a third book coming out, so when that comes out, you need to pick up that book as well. So with with that, um, Shane, I want to thank you again for being here. And uh, you wait right where you are, and I'll be right back. Could we give a plug to the?
1: Oh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Could we give a plug out to Third Place Books in Seward?
0: Sure. Seward bookstore. Sure. It's it's in Seward Park and Third Place Books, and they have they actually have your book there. That's in Seattle. Correct correct so they have it there for you so you can you can go there and and get the book as well so it's
1: a neat store too it, it's a really neat bookstore
0: yeah, it really is and they've got several of them they've got uh, one in mount Lake mount lake terrace and they've got one in ravenna as well so they've got like three locations thank you very more. much you betcha shane thank you and you wait right there i'll be right back thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMMedia.Pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMMedia.Pro, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.